You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's good to have you with us today. In just a moment, we're going to be talking about what it means to aim to please the Lord, what that looks like in our day-to-day life, and we'll be looking at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But before we look at that, I wanted to share just a couple things with you. We launched this podcast just a few weeks ago, and I'm noticing that we're starting to connect with some new listeners. So if you're a new listener to this podcast, we want to welcome you to the program. Thanks again for listening. We're glad that you're with us. And we also want to make mention of how this podcast can be supported so that this can become a long-term thing. And there's a couple quick ways that that can be done, and they're very simple, and we hope that you'll consider becoming a supporter of this show. There are a couple quick ways that you can offer encouragement and support. And the first is to become a patron of our show and help us cover our hosting and production costs by chipping in a dollar or two. And the link to do that is found at our website, which is pastor.us. And there's a link to do that just under the podcast logo. We also have links on our website to my bookstore where you can pick up copies of the various books that I've written throughout the years. And another way that you can help this podcast grow and reach new listeners that doesn't cost a dime and only costs just a moment of your time is to leave a rating or a review for us on iTunes. And the reason that we ask for that and the reason that other podcasters ask for that is that iTunes gives a regular push to podcasts once they start getting a few good reviews from listeners. So your reviews will directly help us reach new people with the teaching of God's Word. And this is particularly critical because we're a brand new podcast that just launched a few weeks ago. And having some good reviews from listeners really helps us reach new people. So if you're interested in supporting this podcast, those are a couple quick ways. I want to mention those at the beginning. I'll mention those at the very end of this episode as well, and I just want to thank you for considering each of them. Now, as I mentioned at the open of the program, today we're going to be talking about the concept of aiming our lives to please the Lord. And all of us can certainly aim our lives in a variety of directions if we choose to, but when we look at the portion of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, one of the main thrusts of what the Apostle Paul mentions in this passage is this idea, this concept of aiming our lives to please the Lord. And I thought it was interesting as I was looking at this passage this week, because this was actually a concept that I was talking about with my children uh, just several days ago, in fact. They have a few days off from school, so our family took just a small trip. We rented a hotel room at a hotel that had an indoor pool, and we enjoyed that. We went bowling. We did a few other fun things together. And in the midst of the days that we had the opportunity to spend together apart from our normal responsibilities, we had the opportunity to have some more conversation. And while we were talking, one of the subjects that came up was the innate desire that is within all people to have the approval of their parents. Even if you don't really get along with your parents, there's something that seems to be within each of us uh, to know that our parents approve of us, or that they are proud of us, or that we please them in one way or another. And I think that's an innate desire that we experience in relation to our earthly parents. 
But it's also something that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we want that to be the aim of our lives. And I think that that's a desire that the Lord places on our hearts. And it certainly uh, appears to be a desire that the Apostle Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible handy, maybe you could just follow along in the copy that you have. I read from the English Standard Version. And this is what it tells us there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 10. This is what it says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to spend some time together looking at it today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we pray that we would understand more about this concept of using our lives to please you, uh, what it means to aim to please you. We pray that that would be something that's fresh on our minds and fresh on our hearts, and with the power that you supply, we pray, Lord, that we would live that out. So we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look at your word and to grow from it, and we pray that by your power and grace that that would be exactly what happens in our life as a result of looking at your word today. We thank you for all these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been going over the book of 2 Corinthians in the past few episodes, and it's my intention that we'll be doing that for uh, the next little bit in uh, the weekly episodes of this podcast. But if you've noticed already, and I'm sure that you have, the book of 2 Corinthians has been described by many as the most emotional letter that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. The church at Corinth brought the Apostle Paul great joy, but they also had a habit of breaking his heart. And one of the things that you see in this book is the fact that the Apostle Paul relied on the Lord's strength in the midst of his human weakness. He wasn't somebody that was overly dependent on human strength. He considered the fact that we as human beings have a lot of weaknesses, but that the Lord's strength is sufficient for us in the midst of these weaknesses. And that's certainly a lesson that the Lord's been teaching me, and I would suspect that that's something that the Lord's been teaching you as well as you continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. And in this portion of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about this idea of aiming to please the Lord. And one of the things that he brings up as a principle here in the first few verses that we just looked at is this idea of longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And what does he mean by that? 
Well, let me reread the first couple verses again. This is what he says in verse 1, and then I'll read verse 2 as well. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now let me pause there for just a moment. Um, this past summer, I was telling a few friends about this as well, but this past summer I made a, a rather inexpensive but fun purchase. During the nice weather, I enjoy sleeping outside on occasion, so I actually bought a one-person tent. I have a very large family tent as well that actually has several rooms, and uh, our entire family of six people can easily fit in the thing. But I also bought a one-person tent, something that I could use just for me if I'm the only one that really feels like sleeping outside on a spring or summer or even fall night. And my favorite experience of using it uh, this past summer was actually when I went to visit my children when they were at camp. They were camping and working at a summer camp that our church supports, and I had to bring some things to them, but I also knew that the camp didn't have any open beds or any open rooms. They were at capacity. They were, they were full. Uh, all the beds were occupied. So I thought, oh, well, this will be perfect. I'll bring my one-person tent with me to the camp, and I'm going to sleep in it at the property there. It's a couple hours away from where we live. So I drove up one evening, slept over that night in the tent, and uh, then came back the next day. And uh, it was funny because in the morning, the fact that there was a tent set up outside uh, the, the dorms was quite the curiosity for many of the campers. My kids knew that it was me, but many of the campers were wondering, you know, whose tent is that? Who's sleeping in that thing? And I had a lot of fun sleeping there. It was fun to just sleep outside and enjoy that in the woods, in the mountains of the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. It was a fun temporary experience, you know, because truthfully, it's nowhere near as nice as living in an actual home, but it's fun as a momentary or temporary type of thing. And when you look at how the Apostle Paul begins this portion of Scripture, Paul's actually making that kind of analogy in this passage when he refers to our earthly bodies as a tent. You know, he's talking about a temporary dwelling. He's talking about our earthly bodies as if they are a tent, a temporary dwelling, not a permanent thing. And keep in mind, he was a person who was quite familiar with tents. Uh, if you know a little bit about the Apostle Paul's ministry, Paul was actually very skilled at making tents, and he often supported his ministry by selling tents. In fact, it tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 18, in the first few verses, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So the scripture tells us that Paul was a tent maker. And as a tent maker, someone well acquainted with how tents were made and what they were used for, he was well aware that while tents are very useful, they are by design meant to serve as just a temporary dwelling. Well, what's our experience in the tent of our earthly body like? If we take care of it, it has the potential to be mostly fine for a season, but we know that even a healthy, well-cared-for body has its struggles. 
our bodies get tired. They get hungry. They get sick. They get injured. Our bodies get sore. There's a few parts of my body that tend to get more sore than others because of injuries or overuse or whatever it may be. Parts of our bodies get broken. Parts of our bodies get uh, worn out. Uh, my mother recently just had her knee replaced, and she's looking to have the other knee replaced very soon. She also told me that my uncle, who is her older brother, is having the same surgery in the near future, which makes me wonder if there's some sort of genetic component to that need, and maybe one day I'm going to need that same sort of surgery. I don't, I don't actually know, but what the Apostle Paul does in this passage is that he describes our experience in our earthly tents or our earthly bodies like this. He says, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. What's Paul getting at here? Well, he's speaking about the fact that our earthly bodies, as they are currently constituted, experience the kind of pain and the kind of decay that show us that they aren't designed for eternity. But our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly body, is going to be much nicer than our earthly tent. I'm trying to take care of my earthly tent, by the way, but even if my best efforts fail, I realize that I've been promised a heavenly body that won't experience the pains and the burdens that currently are breaking my earthly tent down. And when we look at God's Word, we see that the Lord's revealed this to us as a blessing to look forward to for those who are in Christ Jesus. God himself has prepared this for us. And the Scripture here tells us that he's given us his Spirit as a guarantee that he is going to take us to be with him and that he will fulfill this pledge. So in the meantime, It's to be our desire to please him. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about here in this passage, pleasing God. And the truth is, Scripture reveals to us that it's only possible to please God one way. Now, what's the one way that we can please God? What does Scripture tell us the way to please God happens to be? There's only one way to do it. Well, the answer to that is given to us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and this is what it states. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So let me read that again. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. That's what the Scripture reveals. So when we take that concept and we apply it to our earthly tents, as Paul's talking about it here in this portion of Scripture, how does this faith present itself in our bodies? Well, the truth is we can use our earthly tents to glorify Christ, or we can mistreat our earthly tents, which would be a poor stewardship of what we've been entrusted with and would likewise display an immaturity in our faith that needs to be corrected. But the Lord wants us to walk by faith, and that is demonstrated in how we are stewards of our earthly bodies, or what we use our earthly bodies for in this world. If we use our bodies to bring glory to Christ, that's evidence of the fact that we are walking by faith. And the portion of Scripture that we just referenced from Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that it's only possible to please God by faith. It's to be our desire to please Him, and He's pleased when we trust him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. 
So when Paul talks about this idea of longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, that's really an expression of faith because he's trusting that the Lord is going to fulfill the promise to fit us with a body that is fit for eternity. Not a not an earthly or temporary tent, but our heavenly dwelling, our permanent body that we will experience all eternity in. And Paul goes on to express something else in this passage that I think would be wise for us to apply to our day-to-day lives. And he says in verses 6 to 9, this concept of being of good courage. So he's telling you, he's telling me, he's encouraging all believers to be of good courage. What does that mean? What does that look like? Let me reread the verses that we looked at just a few minutes ago. But he says this in verse 6 down to verse 9. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So Paul's encouraging us here to be of good courage. And he mentions it twice, and this isn't the only spot in Scripture where this is mentioned. But here, Paul references it twice as the Holy Spirit inspires him to pen these words down. And he challenges us to be of good courage. Now, it's easy to look at this and to think about courage in relation to our personal mood. And have you ever tried to figure out what causes your mood to improve in any given moment. Sometimes I find myself overanalyzing myself. Maybe some of you do that as well. But in the midst of, you know, I guess just overanalyzing myself, I've also figured out a few things that are helpful to me in improving my mood. So if I'm feeling down and if I want to cause my mood to maybe improve somewhat, I I find that it helps me to do several things. One of the things that helps me is to walk on a treadmill. And actually, I, I used to exercise first thing in the morning, but now I've discovered that my preference is and this is really strange, people tell me, but I like it anyway, is to is to exercise before I go to bed. So I find that if I need to improve my mood a little bit, I find it's helpful to walk on a treadmill. And uh, in fact, I've, I've gotten in the habit of spending an hour or sometimes an hour and a half walking on a treadmill before I go to bed at night. I know that that sounds crazy, but I've started to enjoy it, and I listen to other podcasts that I enjoy, and I find it very edifying, and it puts me in a good spot, and then I, I'm so tired that I fall asleep, and it's great. Um, something else I like to do that I find is helpful for improving my mood is I like to listen to biographical interviews that are upbeat in nature. I enjoy doing that. It takes the focus off of myself. I don't find myself overly focusing on myself, and I'll, I'll listen to these biographical interviews. They're upbeat in nature. It's interesting to hear about other people's lives and their experiences, and I find it very edifying. A third thing that I like to do that I think helps improve my mood is I like to just read things that cause me, again, to stop thinking about myself, and they help me to think about people or ideas or aspects of growing in Christ that others have taken the time to write down. And as I'm reading the things that others have written, I find it helpful because it helps me to stop thinking so much about myself, and I start thinking about the ideas or the concepts or the life stories or the personal experiences that others have gone through, and I find it very edifying. A fourth thing that I find extremely helpful Uh, in improving my mood is if I decide to do something social 
with my family. I happen to very much enjoy hanging out with my wife and my children. They're my favorite people on this earth. They are a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun together. We enjoy going out to eat or sometimes just doing something fun. And I have to say, just as an aside, one of the things that my wife and I have made a point to invest in in relation to our children is we don't buy them a whole bunch of stuff, but we don't shy away from investing in experiences. So we like to spend money not so much on stuff, but on fun things for us to do or helpful things for us to do as a family. And so if we do something social together as a family, I find that's certainly a a mood booster. And here's another one that I think is helpful for me in relation to my mood. And uh, what I've noticed is that if I'm just not feeling like myself, if I'm ever feeling discouraged or down, I've started to avoid foods with sugar in them or foods that will turn to sugar in my body because sugar tends to have that, that mood spike initially and then you crash not too long after that. And so avoiding those things, I find, um, tend to be helpful during seasons where, you know, maybe it's in the middle of the winter and you're starting to feel cabin fever or whatever it may be, and uh, you just find yourself just not feeling right. I find it helpful to avoid sugar or foods that will turn to sugar in my body during those times. So if any of those things are helpful to you, that's wonderful. I I hope that they are helpful to you, and I'm happy to pass them along. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, you have Paul mentioning in this section that as believers in Christ who have been promised a heavenly body, we are always of good courage. The way he says it here is always. We are always of good courage. So when I look at my life, I think to myself, now wait a second, am I always of good courage? Is that something that's always true of me? When Paul says this, is he talking about our moods? Is he saying my mood is always going to be of good courage? Or do you suppose he's talking about something else when he says that? And I would say it's safe to say that he must be talking about something deeper than the temperamental nature of our moods when he says that we're always of good courage, because our quickly changing moods don't meet that kind of standard. My mood fluctuates And when Paul here says that we're always of good courage, he must be talking about something deeper than just my personal moods or your personal moods, because sometimes we tend to be rather moody. And the truth is, to be of good courage, as Paul uses that phrase here, means that our confidence and our hope are anchored in guaranteed things. More specifically, Our confidence and our hope are anchored in the unchanging nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, and because he does not break his promises to us, we can have courage in this world. We can approach each day with supernatural confidence that blows the shaky nature of earthly confidence away, just blows it away. And what we find in Scripture and what we find in our experience of walking by faith in Jesus Christ is that Christ empowers us to walk by faith in him. And as we do so, he's pleased. We've spent enough time walking by sight like the rest of this world does, and we're learning that walking by sight is not sufficient because walking by sight produces doubt, it produces anxiety, it produces worry, it produces fear. But walking by faith in Christ results in a deeper trust that actually grows stronger by the day as it's tested and it's tried by the experiences that the Lord allows us to have in this life. And please notice something else here uh, about what the Apostle Paul makes reference to here in this passage, because he talks about this idea of being 
absent from the body and present with the Lord. And I want us to notice something about that in this scripture. Over the past 20 years or so that I've been serving as a pastor, I have been in the room with many people in the moments before, during, and after their physical death. And in those experiences, I've heard people say things and do things that have made me intensely curious about what they're seeing and what they're experiencing in that moment of transition. And just recently, I took a look at some of the final words that some famous people through the years had said or are recorded as having said just before they died. And I want to share a few of them with you. I have six of them right here in front of me that I want to share with you. Um, Some of the people maybe you'll be familiar with, some of them maybe you won't be, but the first is uh, blues singer Bessie Smith, if you've ever heard of her. When she died, this is what she said. She said, I'm going, but I'm going in the name of the Lord. So she was confident of her relationship with the Lord as she expressed it in her final words. William Henry Seward, I don't know if you're familiar with that name, he was the the architect of the Alaska Purchase when the United States purchased Alaska, but he was asked if he had any final words, and he replied, nothing, only love one another. Those were his final words. It kind of reminds me of what the Apostle John said frequently throughout the course of his life. Maybe you're familiar with the name of Richard B. Mellon. He was a multimillionaire during the course of his earthly life. He was the president of a company called Alcoa, and he and his brother Andrew had a little game of tag going. And the weird thing was that this game of tag lasted for about seven decades. (laughs) So for about 70 years, they were playing this game of tag as brothers. And when Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother over to him, and he whispered to him, Last tag. And then he tagged him. And uh, poor Andrew remained it for four years until he died. So he spent the last four years of his life being it. I read another one recently, another set of final words. And these were spoken by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And these actually made me feel a bit emotional. Uh, You may recognize that name. He was the man who wrote Sherlock Holmes. And He died at age 71 while he was in his garden, and he was there with his wife, and he turned to his wife just before he passed, and he said to her, you are wonderful. And then he clutched his chest, and he died. I don't know if you're familiar with a man named Bo Diddley. Uh, Bo Diddley was a guitarist, a musician, And he actually died giving a thumbs up as he was listening to the song Walk Around Heaven. And his last word, he just said one word, and he he simply said, wow. That's it, wow. And in a similar vein, uh, according to Steve Jobs' sister Mona, when Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, passed away, his final words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. He said it three times. And his sister Mona recorded that down and and recalled that. And it's interesting when you look at this portion of Scripture, you have Paul revealing here that when our spirit leaves our earthly body, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we're told, we will then be at home with the Lord. And I point that out because Paul's making sure that we see here, and this is also explained in other passages of Scripture, that we'll be with the Lord immediately. Not in some intermediary state, not in a state of soul sleep, 
Uh, We won't stop existing like some people think we will. Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And he speaks these words as someone who knew that he would one day be consciously face-to-face with Christ. And that's the reality for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. When we are away from this body, we will be present with the Lord. And that day is going to come for us all. And Paul concludes the section that we're looking at today with a reference to that. He mentions the fact that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 10 as we finish this up. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, as I record this, it's the first day of a brand new year. It's January 1st. 2017. And every time it's a new year, we're given a great opportunity to reevaluate our lives and to reevaluate our priorities. And I recently read that the average person lives just over 27,000 days. So think about that for just a second. 27,000 days. That's the average human lifespan. What are we doing with that kind of time? Interestingly, the men in my family tend to live an average of 23,360 days. So it seems like genetically we aren't promised as much time as what the average typically tends to be. But what's this time being invested in? What do you believe that the Lord wants you specifically to prioritize in this coming year? Have you ever thought about writing it down and maybe praying over the list and then acting on the list as the Lord encourages you to do so? And if you've written a list down, does your list include things like building your relationship with the Lord in this coming year, or maybe making investments in those that you love, investments of time, investments of effort, investments of spiritual deposits that you can make in the lives of those that you love and care about? Or maybe on your list you've got something related to meeting or exceeding a goal, or maybe finally acknowledging and acting upon God's calling for your life. Many people spend a whole bunch of years just running from God's calling on their life instead of embracing it and acting on it. But what about this verse, as Paul concludes the section that we're looking at today? What if this verse said, you have 13,000 more days, and then you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, where he will assess what you did on earth? What if the verse was phrased like that? What if it spoke that way? What if it gave us a very detailed list of how many days we had left on this earth before we would come before the Lord, who will then assess what we did while we were on earth. Well, even though it doesn't say it exactly that way, I hope we realize that essentially that is what this verse is communicating. That is what this verse is trying to tell us. And it's interesting because most people read this verse and they think that Paul is sharing some sort of bad news with the church. But the truth is, this is not bad news. If you believe in Christ, you will be judged. But Scripture tells us you won't be condemned. Your salvation is secure in him if your faith is genuine. The judgment that's being spoken of here is a judgment that's related to the rewards that Christ blesses his family with for their faithful service to him on this earth. Every believer will be in heaven but not every believer will be rewarded with the same gifts in heaven. 
That's mysterious to many people, but it doesn't need to be because Scripture brings it up in multiple places. But it does seem to be a foreign concept to many people. So let me give you another portion of Scripture to consider and to look at as we consider this concept of the Lord rewarding his children for their faithful service to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when we look at verse 12 down to verse 14, it says this, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So the Lord tells us in his word that he has rewards in store for his children that will be given in correlation to their faithful service to him as an expression of their faith during their time on this earth. It's a fascinating concept. I believe it to be true because scripture reveals it. But it certainly isn't something that I feel like I fully understand or have my mind wrapped around because I know it's certainly not something that we deserve. It's just another evidence of the Lord's gracious nature, how he loves to bless us and reward us in ways that we don't deserve. So every believer will be in heaven, and every believer in Jesus Christ is going to come before him and be judged, but we will not be condemned. Rather, we will be rewarded. We'll all be present with him forever. But believers will have different rewards in regard to their faithful service to Christ as an expression of their faith during the course of their earthly life. So what does that mean for people like the thief on the cross? If you remember, when Christ was crucified, there were criminals on either side of him. One mocked him and refused to believe in him, and the other did believe in him. He trusted in Christ right before he died. So when that man comes before Jesus Christ and is judged, does that mean he won't be rewarded? Because when you think about it, he only had a few hours from the time he trusted in Christ to the time that he died. How would that work? Well, let me share how I suspect that will work. I believe that the Lord looks at the time from when we came to know him by faith till the time when we go to be in his presence. And that thief only had several hours from the moment that he came to faith in Christ until he died. And my guess is that that thief used that time to praise Jesus and to find rest in him, to experience confidence in the fact that Jesus would fulfill the promise that he had made to the man, that that man would that day be with Jesus in paradise. So then that begs the question, what are we doing with the time that we've been offered? I know I came to faith in Jesus Christ when I was about 10 years old, but I didn't become serious about my faith in Christ until I was about 15. And then the question is, you know, what am I, what am I doing with the time that the Lord has entrusted to me since I came to know him? Am I using that time well, or am I wasting that time? How much of what we're invested in in our day-to-day -day lives, or how much of what we're worried about matters for only a season? You know, what are we so consumed with? Is it just temporary things, or are we thinking about things that have an eternal aspect to them? What are we invested in that will always matter? I think that's something that we're being encouraged to consider when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. 
But when we summarize this, when we look at it in its totality, one of the things that we see as a theme for this portion of Scripture could be the fact that Paul's aim was to please God by living out his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to aim for as well, because the Lord is only pleased by genuine faith in him. And genuine faith is readily lived out with an eye toward the future. It's bolstered by the courage that Christ supplies. It's looking forward to the day when we'll come before him and see him face to face, enjoying the rewards that he holds in store for his family as he inspires us to serve him faithfully as an expression of our faith during the course of our years on this earth. I'm grateful that the Lord reveals this to us through the Apostle Paul in this passage, and I think it's a very fitting way for me and for all of us to to be gearing our minds toward how we think this coming year should be lived out. Am I aiming to please the Lord by faith? Are you aiming to please the Lord by faith? Are we living out our faith in Jesus Christ? Is that the priority of our lives? Is that the priority of how we conduct ourselves in this world? That was Paul's priority. He models that by example. He teaches it in the specific words the Holy Spirit inspired him to write down in this passage. And that's something that I believe we would do well to consider as a theme for this coming year as we seek to focus on what really matters, that we would aim to please our Lord Jesus Christ by living out our faith in him each and every day. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it. We thank you for the encouragement and the challenge that we receive from it. And we pray that with the strength that you supply, that we would live out our faith in you each and every day. Lord, we know that you love us. We see that demonstrated to us in the fact that you came to this earth, you lived the perfect life, you died on the cross, you rose from the grave, You ascended back to heaven. You promise us that you're going to return, and in the meantime, you share your victory over sin, Satan, and death with all who believe in you. So, Lord, we pray that we would please you with our lives, but we know that that could only be done as an expression of faith. We need to trust in you. We need to believe that you exist, that you reward those who diligently seek you. And we pray, Lord, that throughout the course of today and this week, and this coming year that our lives would be directed toward this aim of pleasing you by faith. We pray that you would foster that in our hearts and in our lives, and that we would be a true and living testimony to what it means to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. We're grateful, Lord, that you can accomplish this. We're grateful for what you've already done in our lives. And we commit ourselves and we commit this year to you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, uh, if you'd like to help this ministry to continue, there are a couple quick ways that you can offer your encouragement and your support. Uh, If you'd be willing to, we'd love to welcome you as a patron of our show. That helps us cover our hosting and our production costs uh, just simply by chipping in a dollar or two. Really, it doesn't take a whole lot to do so when a whole bunch of people are pooling their resources together. And the link to do that is found at our website, which is pastor.us. The link is found right underneath our podcast 
logo. We also have some resources available in our bookstore there at pastor.us where you can pick up copies of the various books that I've written throughout the years that I hope that by God's grace will be a helpful resource to you. And another way that we encourage you to help us out that doesn't cost a dime, it only costs just a, a really just a moment of your time is to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. And like I mentioned at the start of this podcast, that we request that because iTunes will give a push. It'll help publicize or encourage other people to listen to the podcast more once there is a good collection of solid reviews from listeners. So if you enjoy this podcast and you think others might enjoy it as well, please leave a review. It will help us literally directly reach new people with the teaching of God's Word. So we're always very grateful for the fact that others leave ratings and reviews of the show. It's extremely helpful. So that's everything for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope that your new year is off to a great start, and we hope that you have a great week. We look forward to catching up with you again next Monday. Thanks again. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.